It is good to see everyone this morning. Yesterday we had a um, we had a garage sale here. I haven't heard the results yet of how much money was raised, but they're doing that in order to raise some funds for the youth trip to Estonia. So thank you for those who don- donated and for those who worked on it. I'm sure it was a wonderful day. I was down here for a little bit during the day. I bought a bicycle actually uh, from the garage sale. So it was a benefit to me as well. So thank you to all those who participated for sure. I wanted to mention uh, that Amelda Muhammad's mother, Ignacia Asierda, has been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, it is not, it's not a good situation. Uh, she was in the hospital here just in the last couple of days. I heard from Amelda this morning that she's home right now. But we definitely need to be praying for her and Amelda's family. And so I'd like to lead us in prayer right now for that. Lord, our, our sister... Ignacia is, uh, has been diagnosed with this dreaded disease that just seems to inflict so many. And God, we don't want for her to suffer. Um, and what we want more than anything, God, is for you to just heal her. We pray that you would. We pray that you would, even right now, through the, your presence and power, that you would heal her and that her body would be free from this disease. God, you've done that before. And so you could do that in this case, and we pray that that would be the case. Nonetheless, Father, your will be done. We always pray that as well. And we don't say that in this case lightly. We want your will to be done. If, if that's for our sister to continue down this path, God, we pray that you would be with her and with her family every step of the way. Please be with Shem and Imelda and the rest of their family and Bless them with your comfort and peace and help us as a church family to be as much support for them as we can possibly be. Father, we think too of, uh, of Rachel's re- recent loss of a brother. We ask blessings on her family. And there are others, Father, who just have loved ones uh, who they are concerned about even this morning. And we pray, God, that you'd be with all of them as well. We pray these things through Jesus. Amen. So there will be some bright student of the English language here this morning who can tell me the difference between metaphor and simile. Okay, I I don't remember at what point I learned the difference between metaphor and simile, but it just seems to be part of everyone's education when you're growing up. At some point they say, this is a simile and this is a metaphor. What's the difference? You are correct. Okay. It's a comparison, but simile uses the word like or as. Metaphor just says, this is that. Like you could say, for example, you could say something like, hope is the backbone of our church. Now, hope is not actually a backbone. Okay? Nobody ever looked at hope and said, boy, she looks just like a backbone. You know, she's not a backbone. But, but metaphorically, we might say that. We might say, the elders are the heart and soul of our congregation. Now, our elders have hearts, they have souls, uh, but they are not themselves hearts. Instead, there's some metaphor there. Um, you know, we might say that, uh, that Dustin Lammerman is um, like a guide. No, I can't use the word like. 
He's a guide to the blind in terms of leading our youth. Now, that says something about our, our youth as well. There's metaphor there. But then we're saying something about him being a guide. Now, he is actually some kind of guide, but, but he's not actually a guide. Um, you know, we could say that, that Jonathan is the emotional spark plug for our church. Well, he's not actually a spark plug. You know, he's something else, but he's not, he's, he's not a spark plug. Metaphors work this way. They help us make some kind of comparison. We could say Kelly's arms are like two locomotives. Strong, powerful, able to move incredibly large weights with very little effort. And people would say, no, you're confusing him with Keith. Okay? It is true that Keith is like that, Kelly is not. But we could say that. Well... We know that Jesus, when he tells these I am statements, when he uses these I am statements, that he often uses metaphor. And so Jesus says, I am the bread of life, or I'm the light of the world, or I'm a gate, or I'm a shepherd. And Jesus was actually none of those things. He's not actually a shepherd. He's not really a gate. He's not actually bread. He's not really light. But he acts as those ways, he functions in those ways for us. And so in some sense, too, Jesus is the true vine, which is what we're looking at this morning. But is Jesus actually a vine? And of course, the answer is no. I want you to turn to John chapter 15, if you would, in your Bibles. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, page 764, in the seats, in the Bibles underneath your seats. And we're going to read this together. And see what Jesus has to say about being the true vine. Which again, of course, he's not a real vine. So there's got to be something here that he wants us to drink from this metaphor with. So I am the true vine, he says, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I would just pray this morning that as we look at this text from John 15 and the notion that Jesus is the true vine, that you teach us. Lead us, Lord, into understanding here. Help us to understand what it is that Jesus wants to show us about himself and how he wants us to respond to Jesus himself being the true vine. We pray these things through Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning, as we look at this text, I want to just tell you that there are, what I'm thinking is a primary kind of teaching that comes out of John 15, and then there are some secondary teachings. You know, I, 
I'm not saying that the words of Jesus are somehow secondary. That's certainly not the point. But there is a main point, I think, that needs to be gathered from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. And then there's some things that kind of go around that. And I'm going to go over these things that go around that first. And then I'm going to kind of zero in on something here toward the end and get right down to the primary teaching. So first of all, some secondary thoughts about what Jesus is trying to say about being the true vine. I'm going to kind of rush through these almost, but I think that they're all kind of pertinent as well. First of all, Jesus says that he's the true vine, as opposed to all the other vines that are ultimately false. You know, we live in a world in which there are all kinds of claims made about what truth is. Some people would say there's no such thing as truth. Other people would say that truth is here, it's there. Some people would say truth is everywhere. In fact, there are so many ways to God is the claim that so much of the world is making. And all I want to say this morning about this is Jesus didn't say that. Jesus says that he's the true vine. There are other passages we've looked at already where Jesus speaks about being the truth. I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life that we looked at last time. Jesus is saying this about himself. I am the true vine. And so right at at this time when we're tempted Uh, I suppose to to at least listen and give an ear to the idea that there are all kinds of truths out there, many avenues to God, for example. Jesus keeps saying, I am the true vine as opposed to all the other vines out there. We need to pay attention to that. I think this needs to be very much part of who we are and identify us as followers of him. In addition, God the Father is the gardener. We talk about different roles for different aspects of God, where it's Jesus Christ who dies on the cross, it's, it's the Holy Spirit who fills us. And here it specifically says that it's the Father who is the gardener. The gardener, the gardener has certain responsibilities. He's going to do certain things with us as specifically the gardener that maybe even the Spirit or the Son won't do. And so, for example, as the gardener... Could you move me along there, please? Thank you. As the gardener, the father cuts off unfruitful branches and prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they produce even more. And you know this. If you know anything about gardening, if you know anything about trees, I've got a tree in my backyard. I've got a couple of dead branches. I'm going to have to trim those off. Right now, they're sucking something from the plant that I don't want them to suck from it. They're taking life right out of it. Some of the nutrients are going into some dead branches. They need to be cut off. And so Jesus is using just that kind of imagery in terms of here what the Father does. And the idea is producing more fruit in the end. Now, I don't think that the image here of gathering up those pruned branches and burning them that it talks about later on, I'm not sure this is so much a reference to hell. I think it may just be the idea that when you're not connected directly with Jesus, with the vine, there's a withering that takes place. We end up not being near as productive as God wants us to be. And so God ends up, I think, with some kind of separation taking place between himself and us. Not that he's intentionally cutting us off, but that we end up almost cutting ourselves off because we're allowing ourselves to wither and die. And then he talks about how those who, who are cut off um, and withering, they're not going to be able to produce any fruit. And I, I don't know the, exactly what producing fruit here is. Sometimes we think in terms of fruit production being evangelism. And so Jesus is saying, if you're not evangelizing people for me, I'm going to cut you off. And of course, that's not it. This is really a, a whole life picture. The question is, are you living the life of the kingdom that Jesus wants you to live? Are you bringing the kingdom into the surroundings Uh, into our surroundings and helping others see the good things of Christ. I think that's far more uh, what this is about than some specific evangelistic plea. So are we living the life of the kingdom? Does God impact our world through us? Is there God's presence and influence 
present through us. All of this, I think, is something that we need to live as those who are trying to bear fruit for God. And then, of course, Jesus is saying that he very much wants us to produce fruit. It's a goal of his that we would have this kind of impact in our world. And again, I I, I think it's interesting that he uses specifically the word fruit because of the connection of fruit of the Spirit. If, If I said to you, let's have some influence in our world, one of the ways in which you would say we need to have influence is by spreading the love of Jesus, by loving others around us. Jesus certainly would say that as well. But loving is the first element of the fruit of the Spirit. And so while I know we've got one author, Paul, talking about the fruit of the Spirit, we've got Jesus here on this hand talking about us being fruitful in him in terms of being connected to the vine. These all kind of come together as Christians live out this life in the kingdom and bringing the influence of the kingdom into our world that God, I think, wants us to bring. Another thing about all this fruit producing is that it ends up bringing glory to the Father. God wants to be honored. He wants to be praised. And in fact, I think it makes God actually smile. And there's a kind of glorying in this that God does himself. He smiles at his people who are producing fruit, living the kind of life in the kingdom that he wants them to live. And so if we live the way Jesus wants us to do, I think God is glorified. I think he might even kind of smile in the midst of all of that. And then we see this idea that we are to reveal all that are his... Uh, we reveal to all the, that we are his disciples when we produce fruit for the kingdom. And so when we do live for the kingdom the way that God, Christ wants us to, everybody kind of sees this. And again, this mes- meshes with the notion of love. What is it that Jesus says is going to show the disciples or show the world that we are his disciples? There's one thing. If we do this, the world will see that we are his disciples. What's that? Love one another. Okay? We're going to love one another And that shows the world that we are his disciples. So again, I think producing fruit, living the life of the kingdom, loving one another, all of this kind of comes together in terms of fruit producing. And then in terms of a secondary kind of point, the last thing is we are his branches and he is the vine. And this starts to head actually in the direction of where I want to go with what I think is the primary teaching. Because if we are the branches, the branches absolutely need to be connected to the vine. Now, let me show you something. I don't know if you know what grapes look like, but they actually look like this. Oop. They don't look like that. They don't look like that, but they look like that. Do you see the grapes there? No. If you're, if you're nodding right now, you're not really paying attention. Okay? What you see is a vine. Now, there is hanging from the vine there some old dried up branch with something that looks like maybe they've become raisins by now but there's not really grapes hanging from that in fact the branch itself is very small it's very minimal and even if like if those those grapes are hanging there uh, after having dried up or whatever they're hanging from a very frail thin kind of branch now contrast that with the vine that comes out of the ground. Like the vine that comes up that steel post and then along that wire is way more substantial than the branch that's left there. And in fact, even if this was flowering and this was all green and there were grapes hanging there, you would have very thin, almost kind of frail 
grapevine branches that could easily be broken in contrast to this thick, you could almost say powerful kind of vine that holds the, th the whole thing up. It's amazing to me how substantial the vine is in comparison with the branches. And I'm only making the point that, that really that's how Jesus is. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And the branches, we might think we have some kind of really significant role, but the branches aren't really much in comparison to what the vine is. It's the vine that supports all of this and holds it up and really makes it everything that it is. And so we're pretty minimal in comparison to the substantial vine that is there. And it's the vine that enables this branch ultimately to bear the fruit that it does. Uh, we don't do a whole lot there. It's Jesus who does a whole lot. Well, if we move from the secondary teaching into the primary teaching, it looks kind of like this first. The primary teaching of this verse, I think, is all about abiding. If you look in the, in the NIV, if you look at the text in the Bibles underneath the, the seats, for example, the word abiding is not there. The word is remain. It says in the English translation, remain as opposed to abide, where if you looked at the King James Version, for example, or an older translation, you might well see the word abide instead of the word remain. And I have to admit, I don't like what the NIV does here in changing this to remain. I like the word abide. In fact, I think it's probably a better translation of the Greek word meno than what remain is. T t in fact, tell me what the difference is. What's the difference between abiding in something and remaining in something? Because those don't seem to me to be exactly the same thing. When you hear the word abide, what kind of word stands out for you different maybe than the word remain? What do, what do you hear? What's that? To be with. Maybe in, maybe in, a, in a kind of lasting, longer way. Okay? I would agree. What else do you hear? What's that? I think there is too. In fact, it's interesting you say that because... Ed, in the first service, John uh, Casella said, well, the whole notion of abiding is way more active. And it's interesting. I, like, I actually have this at the last point of my sermon today in terms of the activity of this instead of passivity. But it's just interesting that abiding is a more active kind of thing than just remaining. I would agree. What else? What's that? It does sound more positive, doesn't it? Yeah, remaining... It's almost kind of neutral. But when you hear about abide, it kind of, it just does something relationally that isn't there in the word remain. Ron, you had your hand up. Okay, yeah. The, the notion of holding fast and, again, that kind of active growing that might be there in the word abide is just different than remaining. Um, in fact, you know, when I hear the word abide, another word that comes to mind is the word dwell. You dwell with someone or abide with someone. We might even say that to abide or to live with someone, or sorry, to abide or dwell with someone is to live with them. And to live with them is a much different kind of word than just remain with them. When you live with someone, you're experiencing way more of life with them. It's a, it's a bigger, fuller picture of that relationship than simply the notion of remaining. So I kind of like the notion of abide here instead of the word remain. And it's interesting that in this particular section, in verses 1 through 8 of, of John 15, the word abide the Greek word for that, is in there eight times in those eight verses, an average of at least once a verse. And again, it's not in every verse, but in some verses it's in twice. 
So it's in an average of eight times the word abide or dwell or live with. That is in there a lot. And I would say actually dominates what this passage is all about because Jesus wants us ultimately to be dwelling with him. The primary teaching is all about abiding. And so abiding, I would say, is not simply staying connected. It is, in fact, dwelling with, which is a completely different kind of thing. Now, in our world today, we're really familiar with connecting. In fact, I have a phone right here. You know, if I want, um, I could just connect with somebody right now. Uh, You know, I don't know if this will work or not. My son says he's outside, but I could FaceTime with him right now. See what happens here. I actually tried this in the first service. I tried to call Robin. I wanted, she was sitting right there, and I tried to FaceTime with her. We couldn't technologically connect. You know, you just have sometimes connect, technology really fails you. But it's possible that right now I can FaceTime with Ryan in Texas. Let's see if he answers. Come on, bud. Don't let me down here. He's not going to answer. Oh, there he is. Hello, how are you? Hi, Nora. How are you? Yeah. See, Nora? Nora, Nora, look at all those people in the audience. There's a whole church looking at you right now. Isn't that beautiful? You're beautiful, sweetie. You look just like your papas. She's waving at you, okay? Thank you very much. Thanks, everybody. Love you all. All right, bye. Bye. All right. Yeah. Oh, now I can't get them off. <laughs> hang. Yeah, I know. Hang, hang up. <laughs> Did you hear what he said? He said someday you'll learn how to use this stuff. Okay, so, you know, that was wonderful. I love, I love connecting with Nora. We face with time with her sometimes two or three times a day. You know, it's always beautiful. But where do I want Nora to be? Not in Texas. I want her to be here. Like, it's one thing for me to FaceTime with her. It's a completely different thing for me to hug her or to taste her. How, how good does a baby taste when you put your lips on their face it just tastes so nice. Yesterday we were FaceTiming with Nolan. Nolan's nine months now. He's, he's in Arkansas. His eyes lit up when he saw us because we were just with him a week and a half ago, and I think there's some memory there. So he remembers us a bit. It was co- totally cool. But I would ten times rather have Nolan in my arms than to just be FaceTiming with him. It's a completely different kind of experience. And sometimes I feel like instead of abiding with the Lord, sometimes we FaceTime him. And if we don't FaceTime him, then sometimes we do this. Go ahead and move me there, would you please? What's that? What do you see? It's a post-it note. This is the way we sometimes interact with God. We'll take a post-it note. God, I need you. Could you please help me with whatever it might be? Stick the post-it note on a bulletin board. 
and hope God sees it. And I just don't think that's the idea of abiding with the Lord. We want it to be more real than that. We want it to be more genuine than that. And Jesus wants it to be more genuine than that. He wants to really abide with us even as we abide with him. Well, he says, apart from the vine, we can do nothing. And I would say especially with respect to the kingdom. He wants us to have kingdom influence in our world. He wants us to bring in his impact and his presence, his influence. But we can't do that when we're not abiding with Jesus because we'll bear no fruit. If we're not connected with him, connected with the vine, we can't even, he says, live. We just wither. We end up dying. And he says, we're good for nothing except just be gathered up and burned. And you know why they gather up and burn you? It's not, again, I don't think it's so much an image of hell that Jesus is talking about. He doesn't specifically make that reference here. It's a matter of simply being in the way. We're cluttering up the vineyard. This seems to me, this notion of abiding, and hear me, church, I love you all very much, but the notion of abiding with Jesus is just so much different than just going to church. Coming and sitting in a chair on Sunday morning and listening to me talk or singing some songs with Jonathan or whatever we do is not abiding with Christ. That is not to live with him. That's not to dwell with him. That's to put up a post-it note. And Jesus is wanting something more than just a post-it note. Now, as we move on here toward a a finish, a couple of other things I want to show you. One is this. Jesus says in verse 7, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you will and it will be given to you. That is an amazing statement. That's what he says in verse 7. That's what Jesus promises. So is Jesus ready to just give us whatever we ask? Well, in some sense. But the reason he can say that with some confidence, and I think with some sense of peace on his part, is not because he wants to just give us everything. It's because he knows that those who abide with him, those who dwell with him, are not going to ask for the absurd In fact, those who abide with him, those who dwell with him, are going to ask for the things that are in accordance with his will. Why? Because we know him. Because we're living with him. We dwell with him. We abide with him. And so the things that we ask are going to be right in line with his will. And Jesus wants to do his will. He wants to do his will in us and through us. He's going to give us his will because that's what we're asking him for. But we can't ask him for the right things. We can't begin to understand what his will is if we're not abiding with him. Jesus wants us to abide. So maybe the question for today is something like this. Please move me forward. Are you ready to abide? And then, along with abiding, are you ready to listen? Are you ready to even be pruned? And are you ready to receive the fruitfulness that he wants to give you when you abide in him? Jesus is the true vine. He wants his children, the branches to not just be connected, but to 
abide and live with him and receive all the blessing that comes to us because we are so intimately abiding with the vine. Is that you? Are you abiding? Jesus wants you to be. Let's pray. Father, we don't, we don't want to just have FaceTime conversations with you. We want to be in your presence. And we don't want to just send you post-it notes. We want to abide with you. We want your word to come to us and to influence us as we hear it and are changed. And so, Father, help us to abide Help us to be close to your heart. Help us to dwell with you, to live with you, to abide with you. And then help us in response to bring the influence of your abiding with us into our world as we bring your presence and your impact to those around us because of the kingdom. And we pray these things through Jesus. Amen.